welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, we get the pleasure of hearing from our summer intern, Jenna Breedlove, as she brings us a sermon on the parable of the two sons. Let's listen. We are in for a doozy this morning, folks. So as I began this process of choosing a parable to preach on this morning, I decided to select one that I wasn't as familiar with. So I cross out the prodigal son and the good Samaritan on my list. I even have a slide of my desk for you this morning so you can see what my desk looks like and the messiness that it is. Full with a banner that says, Welcome from the Lovely Unity staff. So this is my actual desk in Pastor Dana's office with all the sticky notes. And they're organized. They're groupings. I know where everything is. There's the ones for my, for my calendar dates. There's the ones for the projects that I'm working on. And there was a whole group of ones for my sermon. So I was crossing things off, writing down any thought that came to me. So then I came across this parable in Matthew that I had never really heard spoken in church before, and was situated between these two really interesting points in Jesus' story. So I decided to go with it for this morning, and I had no clue what I was getting into. <laughs> this parable for this morning is chock full of context and history and subversive language, and so I'm so excited to share with you just a little bit of what I've learned from this and try to figure out and aim us at what Jesus is teaching through this story. So hold on your hats, and let's dig in. First, some context. In the first century Jewish world, culture is based on honor and shame. Every single action communicates your place in society. We've heard this language before. Remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Dana spoke on the parable of the wedding feast. And Jesus was talking about take the lower seat at the table rather than the higher seat. Because if you take the higher seat and have to be asked to move down to the lower seat, that incurs shame upon yourself. Whereas if you take the lower seat and are moved to a more honorable position, that's a better way to go. So each action can create honor or shame. People knew these rules. People grew up learning this and knowing this. Respect your elders. Be responsible and do what you're told. People had to be so careful, so cautious of every word and deed because every action or word can create shame or honor, shame on yourself and on your family as well. Do you feel that tension rising in your chest of having to be so conscious of this? These are the ears with which Jesus' audience is listening to his parables. So this parable takes place the Monday after Palm Sunday. Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey after three years of ministry. And crowds have gathered to hear him teach at the temples. The religious leaders, or the Pharisees, have gathered to confront Jesus as well. But to confront him, to catch him in order to arrest him. 
But these crowds that have gathered fully believe Jesus to be the Messiah. And so they are ready to riot if anything happens to Jesus. There's tension here. There's months, years of conflict between religious, political, socioeconomic systems of the culture. There's so much tension that's been building up, and Jesus is at the center of it all. So the Pharisees come to the temple, and they confront Jesus. They ask him about his authority to do the things that he's doing, like healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds, asking what they think about John the Baptist's authority. And if you remember, John the Baptist was a man born just before Jesus, according to the Gospel of Luke, who spent his life proclaiming Jesus, the coming of Jesus, as the Messiah. So he was baptizing people into the kingdom of God, which went against Jewish law. So that's why the Pharisees didn't like what John was doing either. But these crowds that have gathered also believe that John the Baptist is this prophet he claims to be. So, in fear of what the crowds may do, the Pharisees can't really answer Jesus' question about John's authority. So then Jesus continues with this parable. Matthew 21, starting in verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. So Jesus asked, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, the Pharisees must answer. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Hmm. Let's break that down. So Jesus says to the first son, verse 29, I will not, but went and worked in the field. This would have been a shameful act. To refute his father to his face would have been disrespectful, dishonorable. This would have brought shame to the son and to the father. The second son, I will, sir, but did not go. Despite this disobedience, this would have been a more honorable action. The son was saving face by not refuting his father to his face. Now, this parable is not a parenting lesson. Both kids are in the wrong. This story is directed at Jesus' audience, the Pharisees. Since they've lived in this culture of honor and shame, these are the ears with which they'd be listening to Jesus' story. However, Jesus doesn't ask about honor or shame. He asks in verse 31, which son did what his father wanted? Which son was obedient? So the Pharisees have to respond the first, the first son who did go work in the vineyard. To which Jesus replies in verse 31, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. 
And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus has been incurring shame upon himself his entire life. He was born of an unwed woman. He's from Galilee. He rode in on a donkey. He touches the sick and the lame. He eats with tax collectors and prostitutes. And even at a week, less than a week later from this point, he will incur the most shameful death a first century person could. Beaten and hung naked on a cross for all to see. However, every single one of these acts of shame was also an act of obedience to the will of God. Now, shame and sin are not the same thing. Jesus was shamed according to the world's eyes. These actions were culturally shameful. But they were not sinful. Jesus didn't sin in doing these things, of being with the sick and the poor, of being born a virgin. These were not sins, but they were culturally shameful. Jesus was held in righteousness in the kingdom of God for the obedience to the will of his Father. So this parable Jesus tells is elevating people in positions of shame. Prostitutes and tax collectors are the lowlifes of society. They are in the pits of shame. But they are the ones being lifted into righteousness. They are the ones entering the kingdom of God. Why? Because of their acts of obedience. Living in great shame, desperate for forgiveness and mercy, they hear John the Baptist's call to repent and believe. And they do it. They repent. They believe this message of the Messiah. So they let go. They repent of greed and sexual immorality. They let go of the ways that they've been sinning against God and step into what God is actively doing through John the Baptist and then through Jesus. They're able to recognize Jesus' authority and repent. This act is in obedience to God's call. They have faith. The Pharisees, on the other hand, do not act out of authentic, active faith. Now, it's important to note that the Pharisees are not evil. These are not the villains of the Bible. They are just people. We know that Israelites have a history of disobedience, but now they're trying. They've created these systems, these religious leaders, to guide their community in faith, to honor the law better. So they're trying. They cling to the word because they love God, and they want to do right by it. But then... John the Baptist comes, and they do not recognize God's authority in him. And Jesus comes, and they do not recognize him as the Son of God. The Pharisees have wrapped themselves in this culture of honor and shame. They've confused God's call to keep the Sabbath, for example, with the shame that would be incurred based on the culture of touching the sick and being with the poor. They've mixed this tradition and law and culture and honor and shame, and it's clouding their vision to what God is actively doing through Jesus. Pharisees, these religious leaders, they've sinned 
by neglecting God's call, neglecting God's people, in order to maintain this sense of honor. They've allowed their words become more important than their actions. They've become hypocritical by preaching this love of God without caring for his people. So how have we done this? How have we mixed shame with sin? Only a few decades ago was interracial marriage so shameful that it was also illegal. Even now, interracial marriage and children of divorce getting married carry this stigma. But this stigma is not a reaction to sinful actions, but to shameful actions. What are those other things What are the things that we consider taboo or shameful as also sinful, but in reality, maybe we're missing the point? Back to the parable. The first son in the story, the one that changed his mind and went to the vineyard. This is the prostitutes and the tax collectors. The second son, the one that claimed to act but didn't, represents the Pharisees, the religious leaders. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are living in sin, not following the laws of God. Greed, sexual immorality. But they recognize these things and they accept the forgiveness and mercy that Jesus' message offers. The Pharisees, however, claim to follow God, but do not act on his most central commands to love him and love his people to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to help the poor, to care for the widow and the orphan. They neglect this. So this parable is pointing at their hypocrisy. Up on the the screen we'll have a visual to help understand this idea of shame and sin being separate. So we have the huge bubble of sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God, so everyone with be existing in that bubble of sin, except for Jesus, who's poking out on that side over there. Take the honor bubble, the Pharisees, the second son. They're still living in sin. They may be culturally honorable, but their sin looks like hypocrisy and pride. Consider the shame bubble, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, not living according to the word of God. Greed, sexual immorality, they're still under that bubble of sin. Jesus is not under the bubble of sin, but he is still in that circle of shame because of the things that were actually acts of obedience to the will of God. Being born of a virgin, dying on a cross, riding a donkey. Those things were not sins, but they were considered shameful. So again, both sons are in the wrong. Both groups are still in that group, in the overall circle of sin. This is not a parable about which son are you, because we have all been both sons at different points. The first son, the one who dishonors his father, but eventually does the right thing, every teenager has done this. I may have not been a parent, but I have been a teenager. As much as I would love to claim to be the perfect angel, my mother's even here today, and I'm sure she would beg to differ. One of the things was keeping my room clean. Maybe I never outright yelled at my parents, 
but I certainly thought about it. Certainly sat some behind my back. So when it came to cleaning my room, I liked having my space cleaned up. You've seen my desk. <laughs> That's clean. That's organized to me. When it came to cleaning up my space, I didn't mind having it cleaned, but I hated being told what to do. So I would plan to pick up my room, but before I would get to it, one of my parents would say, you should pick up your room. Well, now I don't want to. Now I'm not going to. So maybe I never outright yelled back at them, but I would certainly make my case of why it should stay the way it was. This is my stuff. Why can't I keep it this way? This is clean to me. I know where everything is. But I, I wanted my space picked up anyway. And so eventually I would, just, I would just do it. Maybe you acted this way as a teenager. Or maybe you know a teenager that acts this way. Or consider the other son. The one who says, yes, sir, but never does what he's told or what he says he's going to do. Been that kid too. Whether it was saying yes to clean my room just to appease my parents and avoid the argument in the first place, even though I knew I wasn't going to do it when they said to. Or maybe it was making an empty promise to catch up with a friend knowing I wasn't going to follow through. Or offering to pray for someone, then prioritizing other things and eventually just... Or maybe it was mixing up culturally taboo and shameful things with what I actually consider sinful in order to boost my pride as the honorable one who's doing it right, the good one. I'm guilty of all these things as well. But just as the tax collectors and the prostitutes are called, just as the Pharisees are called, we are called to acknowledge our own hypocrisy, to repent, to act in obedience out of great faith. We are called to see what God is actively doing and to let go of the past. Now I know repent can be a controversial word. Maybe you're thinking of the people on, with the signs on the street corners yelling everybody that they're all sinners. Or maybe you're considering repentance with this wrathful Old Testament God. Our God is a loving God, always has been and always will be. Repentance is not an emotionally charged event where you have to plead for mercy and make your case and hope for forgiveness. You will be forgiven if you confess from the heart because our God is a merciful God. Repentance is about a deliberate change of ethical action. It's about recognizing the path you're on and making a 180. It's about recognizing that hypocrisy and making a conscious effort to change our behavior. And I emphasize, traditions and laws are not sinful. The Torah, the Old Testament, these are not sinful. They were created to help guide the community of the Israelites in their faith. But the religious leaders got lost in their execution. They neglected God's most central command, to love him and love others. Rules are helpful. We like structure. But we break the rules all the time. David Lewecki is a pastor at North Decatur Presbyterian Church in Georgia, and he wrote a commentary on this parable. In that commentary, he writes, 
No church can exist in which every person consistently breaks the rules and comes back saying, I'm sorry, expecting to be fully restored. It would be mayhem and moral chaos. However, the story is not about church order. It simply says that no church can exist if people who consistently break the rules and come back saying, I'm sorry, are not fully restored to membership. For the new church, obediently following the rules requires forgiveness. We are hypocritical, disobedient people, but we serve a merciful, forgiving God. I invite you to consider the ways that you have failed. Failed to love him well, failed to love others well. What do you need to let go of? What is keeping you from loving God and loving others? Remember, traditions and laws are not sinful, but has the way things have always been done clouded your vision to what God is actively doing and changing? What are those things you consider shameful or taboo? When in reality, we're missing the point. What do you need to repent for and step into a new form of obedience? Don't shy away from this. It's not easy work to be introspective and honest with yourself. But I encourage you to pause and reflect. To put in this effort to consider how committed you are to being transformed by Christ. Remember, this is a lifelong journey. But it starts with a first step. Invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the ways in which God is pulling you to grow. And do not despair here, for the kingdom of God has come near in Christ Jesus. Believe the good news and accept the forgiveness and mercy that is offered. Step into faith obeying God's call, his call to love him and love others. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.